0: All right, good morning. If you're here as a guest, my name is Mark. I serve as the teaching pastor, and I have the joy of introducing Edwin Lopez, who's going to be bringing the sermon for us this morning. Edwin, yeah, go for it. That's great. Home field advantage right here, man. It's going to be great. So Edwin is one of the elders here at Redeeming Grace Church. There are 10 of us, um, Edwin and... Maria became members uh, of the church here in 2011, and he serves as the facilities manager here. So this building and all these grounds, he's the one who's responsible for taking care of those things. So if you use those things and and appreciate and enjoy uh, being here, feel free to let him know your appreciation, because it's a big job. Some of you know Edwin. Um, Maybe you've been with him on mission trips to Oasis Church in the Dominican Republic or to... Rancho 3M. Uh, you may have noticed that he plays bass sometimes here on the worship team. He's also involved in ministry at the jail uh, up, up the street. And Edwin and Maria are committed uh, to church growth uh, through having children, and so they have um, six of their own, six of their own, and one on the way. So um, that's exciting. He uh, recently, with uh, a number of other guys in the church here, com- completed the Simeon Trust Literary Genre course. And through that, through working with him on staff here in the building, through working with him as an elder, I've come to discover what a deep love and respect Edwin has for God's Word. He not only loves and respects it, he submits to it. And as Kenneth was talking about, he takes it in he, voraciously. He loves God's Word and loves to put it in. Into action. I've also come to know Edwin as a very kind and gentle man, and a man who loves Christ, and he loves you, Christ's church. And it's been a joy to get to know him over the past few years. And please welcome him now as he comes to bring God's Word to us.
1: Good morning. Buenos dias, familia Iglesia. Como están? Well, it is an honor for me to stand before you this morning and bring God's Word to you. I have been praying, asking the Lord to open our hearts and open our minds today so we can understand what the Holy Spirit has written in the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to to be reading from the Gospel of John chapter 14, but before we go there, I would like to ask you a question. I want to start by asking you a question. I know that Christmas just passed and a new year is coming and some of us are looking to the future with great expectations, hoping that the new year will be better than the last. For others, the reality of life is different. And they didn't look to the future with uncertainty, not knowing what the future holds for them. Quite frankly, sometimes the fear of being uncertain gri- grips the heart and the mind, and we become anxious and troubled, unclear about a thousand things. Now, here's, here's the question I would like to ask. Where do you go to find comfort for your troubled heart? This morning we're going to see how Jesus, in the Gospel of John, speaks to those with an uncertain future and troubled hearts. So I, w- I, wanna, I would like to ask you to please open your Bibles to the Gospel of John. We're going to be reading from chapter 14, verses 1 to 7 gospel of john chapter 14 verses 1 to 7 this is god's word let not your hearts be troubled believe in god believe also in me in my father's house are many rooms if it if it were not so would i have told you that i go to prepare a place for you If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is a great passage. And so my desire is that you'll be blessed by it in whatever circumstance you find yourself in this morning. And I would like to share with you three truths from this passage in the form of questions. Number one. Why should we believe what Jesus says? Number two, what does Jesus promise? And number three, how is Jesus the way to the Father's house? Let's pray. Father in heaven, your name is holy, holy, holy. Father, we come before you this morning thankful for allowing us to be here. And as we sit at your table, Father, we ask that we would feast on Christ. We desire to have a greater glimpse of Him, of our Savior, of the one who died on a cross to save us from our sins. And Father, and as we sit here, I also pray for all my sisters for all my brothers that are suffering at this moment for all those who have troubled hearts for those for all those who look into the future and all they see it is an uncertain future i just pray father that you will be so kind to come to bless us this morning with Christ. Help us to see Christ today. And as we leave this place, I pray, Father, that our faith will be greater, will be bigger, and Christ will be much, much bigger in our hearts. Thank you for being so kind. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. I still remember like it was yesterday. It was a clear and sunny afternoon back in 1984 in my hometown. My country, El Salvador, was going through a civil war that lasted 12 years. It was a brutal war between the civilians, the guerrillas, and the government, the armed forces. And I got to witness one of a thousand cases that people went through as a consequence of the war. We had a farmhouse in the woods. And quite often in the early hours of the morning, the guerrillas would come asking for food and water. And as if that was not bad enough, quite often in the evenings, the armed forces would come asking for a place to rest. The farmhouse was strategically located where both groups would come demanding things from us. But by God's grace, they never realized what was happening. But on that clear, sunny afternoon, things changed for the family in that house. The armed forces came and took the grandfather, the grandmother, the uncle, and there was a kid there. He was like about six, seven years old. They took him out too, and they took his dad out to the front yard. The soldiers made them form a line, and as I was witnessing this, I realized what was happening. They were getting ready to fire at them. The soldiers had, had orders to execute anyone who was either found guilty or suspicious of helping the enemy. As they prepared to fire, a high-ranked officer came out of nowhere and said, Stop! Don't shoot. Not here. Not now. That boy I told you about, that six, seven-year-old boy I told you, that was me. I still remember like it was yesterday. Now, why do I share this story with you? The reason why why I'm telling you this story is because as a boy on that sunny afternoon, I was afraid to die. The The fear I felt on that day was, let's say, unforgettable. But now I am much older. I am a husband. I am a father of seven. I think God has given us my wife and me, uh, many reasons why we should be concerned. I think my kids feel that whole back row over there every time we sit over there. They feel that whole back row. And so today, if something similar to what happened on that day would happen again, the fear of dying will be much greater. And when I think about that story, I realize that you don't have to go looking for situations that will be accompanied by fear or trouble they will come to you when you least expect it but what troubles your heart today could it be the same fear i experienced in that farmhouse on that day could it be the fear of losing a loved one the fear of losing your marriage the fear of not being sure if you're even saved or maybe you have been preaching the gospel to your teenager kids for a long time but nothing seems to change And you're afraid that they might depart from this world without Christ. Or it could be the fear of being a single mom or a single father. Whatever the situation may be, there are a thousand things that can make us troubled. But the question is this. What do we do with our troubled hearts? What do we do? Where do we go to find hope and peace? Are there any clear instructions in the Bible that will help us to find comfort and peace for our troubled hearts? I would like to submit to you that there are good news in the Bible. Jesus has clear instructions for you and I on what to do when doubt and worry and, and fear sits in. I am sure we all have something that reminds us of the reality of the world we live in. We live in a sinful, fallen world. Where happiness doesn't last forever. Life doesn't last forever. But the words of our Savior Jesus Christ to us do last forever. And his word will never change. They will never change. They will remain the same, always. So let us ask ourselves a question. In light of whatever is happening in your heart today, what must we do what must we do i would like to submit to you brothers and sisters that jesus christ is the only one who can give you comfort and peace instead of fear and anxiety if this is true if jesus is the only one who can comfort us in our troubles then we need to know what he says we must do when we have a troubled heart now let's consider our first point Why should we believe what Jesus says? Look at what he says in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus commands us to believe in him. Well, why does he command us to believe in him, we may ask? Because in our text, he claims to be God. Jesus knows every detail about your life. He made it. He knows all the ins and outs of it. He knows everything about what goes on in our, in, in our hearts. He is God. He knows all things. But also look at the second half of the text. He says, believe in God. Believe in me also. or Believe also in me. If I can put this in a different way, what Jesus is saying is this. In the same way you believe in God... You must also, in the same way, believe in me. He is claiming deity. He is claiming to be God. And since he is God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and our maker, it is his right to command us to believe in him. And so, our duty and privilege and only hope is to believe in him. To trust Him. To take Him at His word. To believe in Him. Now, where are you currently going to find comfort and peace for your troubled heart? Where is that that special place you go to find hope, care, purpose, love, and shelter? Quite frankly, there are a thousand places we can go looking for the remedy for our troubles. For some of us, it could be work. You know, we spend long hours at work trying to escape what is happening in our minds, what is happening in our lives. For some of us, it could be church. You know, we're busy in church. We're doing this, we're doing that. We're going here, we're going there. we're We're doing this program, we're doing that program. And we're busy trying to run away from our problems. It makes us feel good sometimes to be here. But Jesus says, no, no. Come to me, trust me, believe me for others it could be school, friends, entertainment, careers, and the list goes on and on and I would like to tell you that we will never find the remedy for our troubles in any of those items from that list. Jesus in our text today gives us the remedy for every kind of trouble we could be experiencing Jesus says. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. Trust me. Trust me. Now, who is Jesus talking to in our passage? He's talking to Peter and the other disciples. And as a way of context, chapter 13, verse 1, tells us that, now before the the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, come to depart out of this world to the father having loved his own who were in the world he loved them to the end in this passage jesus knowing that his hour hour has come a few signs ago that taught us that when jesus says my hour he refers to that hour of his crucifixion that last hour and it's the same here he's talking about the same thing he starts to uh, so in this passage, Jesus, knowing that his hour has come, he starts to, pre- to prepare his disciples for what is about to take place as he faces the cross. And as Jesus relates to them the things that are to take place, he speaks to them about a betrayal, chap- uh, verse 21 and 27 of, of chapter 13, a departure, and a denial, verse 38. The disciples did not understand why Jesus needed to leave. The news of Jesus' departure did not make sense to them one bit. It did not make sense at all. They're confused. Now, imagine what is going through the minds of the disciples. Imagine what is going through their minds. It was Jesus who, three years prior to this day, had gone up to them to extend an invitation to follow him. And they took it. They accepted his invitation. They left everything they had to follow him. They went everywhere he went they stayed everywhere he stayed and they suffered ridicule from the Jews right alongside Jesus Jesus had to become everything to them In one occasion Jesus in John uh, chapter 6 verse 66 and 69 he said after this many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him So Jesus said to the 12 do you want to go as well Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One. You are the Holy One of God. Peter, in in his heart, had no place to go without Jesus. Peter said, to whom shall we go? Lord, to whom shall we go? To the world? Lord. Lord. The world will never offer us the words of eternal life like you do. You, Lord, you, Lord, alone have the words of eternal life. Peter had a troubled heart. He did not know why Jesus was leaving him behind. But notice this. Notice the kindness and care of Jesus for his disciples. Jesus, as he is transitioning the disciples from walking by sight to walking by faith, Knowing the storm that was was raging within the hearts of the disciples, he came to them and said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. Believe in me. Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't do this. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. Do this. Believe in me. The disciples were people just like us, prone to wonder, prone to deny the Savior they loved. Peter denied Jesus three times, and when he realized that it had happened just like Jesus said it would, Mark 14 72 says that Peter broke down and started to weep. Maybe Peter said to himself, I'm done. I'm done. I failed. I am so disqualified. This is the end of the road for me. I'm done. But this is Peter. What about you, brothers and sisters? What about us? What about us? Are you at the end of the road this morning? Have you disqualified yourself from following Jesus the way you used to do it before? What is troubling your heart today? Are you being prone to wander to leave the Savior you love? Jesus in our text commands us to direct all our attention to Him. He commands us to put our hopes in Him. To whom shall we go when we are troubled should be the question. Only to Jesus must be the answer. He alone has the words of eternal life. The remedy for troubled hearts is is faith in Christ. Trust Christ. Believe in me, he says. Trust him. Believe in him. Now, I would like for us to consider point number two. What does Jesus promise? What does he promise? In my, look, look at verse two. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Now in chapter 13, verse 1, Jesus tells us that his hour has come to depart, to go back to the Father in heaven. He explains to his disciples in chapter 14, verse 2, that in the place where he is going are many rooms. It's a big house. He tells them that he is going physically there to prepare a place for them. And he also communicates to them that he will come back again to get them to be where he is. The question is this. How is Jesus going to accomplish what he says he will do for them? How is he going to do that? I would like to point out three things from this text. One bad news and two promises. The bad bad news is is in verse 1 and 2. is that Jesus will physically leave them. He's going to go. And they will not see him physically present like they are used to anymore, because he's leaving. Promise number two, promise one, verse three. Jesus told, told his disciples that he was going to come back again. He's going to the Father's house to prepare a place for them, and then he's coming back. And promise number three, verse three. Jesus, promise number number two. I'm sorry, and verse three. Jesus told his disciples he was going to come back to take them to where he is. So the purpose of his return is to take them back to himself so that where he is, there they may be also. Jesus did not leave the disciples to wander all alone in, in this world. They were not to live their li- lives as if everything they had learned and experienced with him was lost, as if life had no meaning or, and purpose. Jesus one day will come back to take us to that place He has prepared. But in the meantime, while we wait until until it is our turn to go to the the Father's house, Jesus has given us a precious gift. He He has given us a precious gift. The Holy Spirit. He said to them in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, And I I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Now in a fallen world, full of bad news like the one we live in, how does good news like this speak to you And me. Earlier, I shared with you that quite often I am confronted with the reality that one day my turn to go to the place Jesus has prepared for me will come. We're not made of metal. Let me explain what what I mean by that. What I mean is this. Our maker, when he made us, he gave us emotions. He gave us the capacity to feel joy to feel pain and sadness. So when I think about leaving this world, my heart starts to beat faster. And quite frankly, the, the, the feeling is an unpleasant feeling. I don't, I don't like it. But John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote this passage so that when you and I are confronted with the reality that life has come to an end, we might redirect our emotions, feelings, pain, sadness, and understanding to the one Jesus Christ who has gone before us to prepare a place for us. And when you come to close your eyes and take your last breath here in this place, you may open them in a new place which has not been prepared by human hands but by Christ himself. That is good news. We have a place. We have a place. I can only imagine when Peter was being crucified upside down, not feeling worthy of dying like his master. This is just my imagination. It's not in the text. Peter, closing his eyes, taking his last breath, saying this, He has gone ahead of me. To prepare a place for me. I have a place. I have a place. He told me that I have a place. And he wants me there. Jesus wants us to be where he is. And will make sure to get us there safely. You can count on that. So the words that come to my mind. To express my gratitude and confidence. For what he has done for, for me. Are these. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me dance depart. No tongue can bid me dance depart. You and I have a place in the the Father's house because Jesus has gone ahead of us to secure it for us. Jesus will never fail to fulfill His promises. He will never fail. Never. Never. We have a place because He has secured it for us. He has done it. you look forward to that we're not alone now let's consider our last point how is jesus the way to the father's house look at what he says in verse 4 and you know the way to where i am going thomas said to him lord we do not know where you're going how can we know the way jesus said to him Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus tells his disciples in verse 4, And you know the way to where I am going. But Thomas, being confused and alarmed about Jesus' departure, not really sure about what Jesus was talking about, spoke on behalf of all the other disciples, including us. Thomas said, Honestly, Lord, we do not not know where you're going. We don't know where you're going. You see, the disciples could not grasp what Jesus kept saying to them in chapter 13. They did not understand what Jesus meant when he said, You know the way. What What Jesus refers to by the way is the way of the cross. Chapter 13, verse 1 says, Not Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, Jesus departs to the Father through the way of the cross. He goes to the cross. Jesus goes to the cross to suffer and die, be buried and rise again. Jesus is the only connection between God and this world. Thomas, not knowing where Jesus was going, asked a very important question in this passage, which is the only question we have on our passage. He said, how can we know that way? How can we know the way? I'm wondering if, if we're interested in knowing the way. How can we know that way? Show us the way. Teach us the way. Thomas seems to be very interested in knowing the way to where Jesus is going. But I don't think it's a matter of how can we know the way, but who can we know? Jesus answered, saying, I am the way, Thomas, and I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, the way to the Father is the person, the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus has ascended to the Father through the way of the cross. And by doing so, he has opened the only access, the only way, the only road that there is to the Father via himself. Jesus has made a way to the Father. He has satisfied God's wrath against sin. He has paid and removed the penalty of sin I have earned for myself. Look at, at verse 6. He's telling us that he is the way to the Father. Have you have you ever wondered in what way or how is He the way? I have shared this text with a lot of people before, but I never stopped to consider how is He the way? What does He mean by claiming that He is the way? And the truth, and the life. I've been thinking a lot about this, and what has helped me a lot is to visit just to pay a little visit to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. I think what, and think what took place there. God made Adam and Eve. He also made a beautiful garden in the land of Eden. And He put them there. He commanded them to eat from all the trees in the garden except from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He told them that the day you eat from it, you will surely die. The serpent deceived Eve, and both of them took from the fruit, and so disobeyed God, and so both of them died. Not physically, of course, but spiritually. So, what did God do? He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the Tree of Life. Now, Adam and Eve are exiled from the garden. They had a special place where they used to meet with God, but now it's lost. It's gone. And the way back inside the garden has been denied. But God, in His kindness and mercy, did not leave His creation to die with a hope of one day being redeemed and, and again, and gain access to the garden once more. In Genesis 3, verse 15, God gives us the first glimpse of the gospel. He said this, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God promised that the offspring of the woman, he, was going to crush the serpent's head. But this promise was not fulfilled right away. Now Moses in Genesis, he presents him as the offspring of the woman. John presents him as the Word. And finally, hundreds of years of years later, John, in chapter 1, verse 14, tells us that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus says to Thomas, Thomas, I am the way to the Father. I am the way back to that special place that was lost because of sin. The way back to the garden is opened. Jesus says, stick with me, believe in me, and I will take you there. I will take you there. Trust me. Believe in me. Christ is the way back to God. He is the way. There is no other way. But he also claims to be the truth. Remember, the serpent's weapon of choice was the twisting of God's word. The serpent said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You should take from it. You will be fine. Adam and Eve listened to the serpent's lie. And so because of their disobedience, God's creation came down to the ground based on a lie. But in our text, Jesus says, "I am the truth. No more lies." John 17:17 17, 17 says this, "Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus represents who, whom God is. Jesus is building His kingdom on truth, not lies. Jesus commands us to believe in him. Now, if just in case we are believing that there is another way to heaven, and that at the end of the day, God will be kind with me when I get there. Brothers and sisters, I would like to submit to you that we're still believing the lie of the enemy. There's only one way. There's only one way. There's only one way to get to heaven. That is Jesus Christ. We go through him by faith in him. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. He is the truth. He also claims to be the life. God told Adam and Eve, the day you eat from that tree, you will surely die. They both took from the tree, and so they both died. Paul in Ephesians 2, 1 says, and you were dead in trespasses and sins adam and eve gained death for their disobedience but in our text jesus claims that he is the life and so he turns the curse of death on its head to the opposite direction and now in the person of christ we have the way to the father and the truth and the life there is no other way Christ is the way, the only way to the Father. Now, I would like to submit to you, brothers and sisters, that Jesus Christ is the only, the only one who can give you comfort and peace instead of fear and anxiety. Jesus Christ is the only one who can provide comfort to our, to our troubled hearts. There is no one else. There's no one else but Jesus Nothing else will do. No job, no school, no amount of entertainment. But Christ alone, through faith alone, trust Christ. Only Him. Only Him. Brothers and sisters, throw your burdens on Christ. He knows what you need before you come to us. Seek Him in prayer and persist on it. Don't give up. Persist on it. God has given us access back to Himself through Jesus. Let's not neglect His blessing God has given us in the person of Christ. He is our only hope and the only way that one day we'll be with Him. Now, I would like to finish by asking all of us this. Do you know him? Is he the one you run to when you have trouble, a troubled heart? Is he the one that brings comfort to your troubled soul? Do you know him? Is he the one you worship out of love and understanding for what he has done for you in the cross? Is he the one that has first place in the deepest chambers of your heart? This morning, do you know him? Do you know Christ? He claims to be the only way to the Father, the only way to heaven. It is important to know Christ. Do you know him this morning? If your honest answer is, no, I do not know him. I I don't know who Christ is. But I would love to get to know Him. I do want to know Him. I need help. I do want to know Him. All the elders in this church, including all the brothers and sisters, would love to talk to you and answer any questions you may have. There's only one way to the Father... Jesus Christ don't wait until tomorrow seek him today today is the day seek him today while he may be found let's pray Father in heaven I, I ask that you would have mercy on us. Father, you have given us the only way back to you. That is your Son. Your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. He died on the cross to make a way for us back to you. He has, he has opened the the gates of paradise once again for us to go in and he's commanding us to go he's telling us to go so father I ask that you would help us to see to see him give us the gift of faith and repentance Help us today. Help us. Father, may the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, be be worshipped. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.